Good morning, good morning, and happy Sunday, and welcome to Weightless and Mind, Body, and Spirit with your host, Dr. Carol Penn, doubly board certified in family medicine, obesity medicine, and your master movement meditation and mindset coach. I am happy and excited to be here this morning because we have another show coming to you that is just full of golden nuggets, full of information that we hope that you will be curious about, that you'll want to learn more about, and that you will stay engaged with us about. So what is this show, Weightless in Mind, Body, and Medicine, that comes to you so early on a Sunday morning? What is this show about? This show is, well, the meaning is like a right? So we have um, weight and mind, body, and spirit, meaning to lose weight, right? Obesity is a multifactorial disease that impacts every major organ system in mind, body, and spirit, because one of the issues with carrying excess weight, with feeling even carrying a lot of weight in some cases, is that feeling of being blue or feeling of being depressed or feeling of being anxious. And there are some real physiological reasons for that. Um, Just the brain's own chemistry, the body's own chemistry. But it also means to feel weightless in spirit. Like literally, we have all this language around it, right? What takes the weight off of your shoulders? I feel weighed down. And we're not talking about our physical weight, but we're talking about our emotional weight. So we look at all of those things. And to help me do that, I have some super friends that are waiting backstage because today we are talking about intergenerational trauma. So as you join in, please join in. Let us know that you are here, you're with us this morning. And I'm gonna go ahead and bring my friend on. And uh, I'll just ask that when we are off camera, if we could possibly be um, you know, on mute, that would be really helpful. And you have to remember to unmute yourself. And this is just note to self and note to guests because sometimes we forget, we start to talk and then <laughs> there we go. All right, excellent. So here we are, here we are. Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. So the first thing that I'm going to ask people to do is to introduce themselves. I could read bios and all like that, but just sort of a little uh, short essence, who you are and what you're doing in the world. And I'm going to start with my friends and colleague, Miss Sheila Bauer. Good morning and welcome, Sheila. Good morning, Dr. Carroll. I am a public school teacher in a very unique role in the school system out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm a parent and family educator. So I work with parents, caregivers, and their children ages birth to five. Studied child development and adult learning theory. So I get to teach adults about kids. And I'm very passionate about this topic. So thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, your frontline hero. Thank you for the work that you do. All right. So how about we bring on my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Kadisha Rapp? You have to unmute yourself. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Kadisha Rapp. I'm a board-certified emergency medicine physician. I've been a physician for 20 years, and um, I'm also a best-selling author of the book, um, Help Us Help You in the Emergency Room. And actually, um, I'm on shift right now, but I'm also um, passionate about speaking with high school and college students about um, the pitfalls that can take us off the road to our, our goals and dreams and everything like that through safety for success. Excellent. Excellent. Everybody needs your book because everybody needs to know what to do when they get to the emergency room. Cause a lot of people are confused about that. And a lot of time gets lost trying to Definitely. figure that out. So welcome Dr. Khadijah. Thank you for being here this morning and thank you for being at work. My goodness. 
Yes, 24-7 is the life of the ER doc. So, and now I'm going to welcome Dr. Kathy Farah. Good morning, everyone. I just get goosebumps hearing from Dr. Kadisha and Sheila, and I don't think it's the Wisconsin morning, but it could be. Um, so I'm in Wisconsin. I'm a family doctor and also integrative and holistic physician, and I uh, practice here in Wisconsin, and I also practice in Minneapolis at Children's, uh, not far from Sheila, actually. And uh, my passion is uh, mind-body medicine. That's how I know the people on the screen through the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. Kudos, Jim, Dr. Jim Gordon. And... Um, and my growing um, uh, knowledge is really to really be studying and learning from myself what I can bring to the world um, in social justice and equality for all. Uh, well, welcome and thank you. So we are gonna be talking about uh, certainly a, a challenging subject today. Our subject today is intergenerational trauma. And we're also going to be talking about um, a course that we're doing. Kathy and I are co-facilitators in the course, Unpacking Racism, and what we all can do in terms of learning what that means, learning what it means to be an anti-racist, learning what it means to be an ally. And so the course is actually kicking off this week. And while it is We've got a really good group. I'm so excited to meet everyone. It's still open. We've still got a few more places, so you might see yourself joining us and in the course. But before we get going, I'm just going to ask Kathy to lead us in just a few breaths, almost um, a meditative moment, if you will, because that's one of the things we've interwoven into the course. It's giving an opportunity for everyone to settle down, to have that ease of spirit, particularly in the face of great difficulty and challenge. And for some reason right now, I just, uh, what just popped up in my head was the uh, death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I know it's, that has affected me greatly. And, and I believe it has affected many, many people the world over. So deepest condolences to her family and to all of us who are mourning her loss. Talk about hero. She's definitely fits that definition completely embodies it. So Kathy, if you will bring us into just a few breaths, a little bit of ease of spirit. Thank you, Carol. And it's uh, always important to remember the breath, especially as we navigate, as Carol said, all those topics. So if you find yourself, you know, feeling some sort of way as we go on, just return to the breath and invite you to do that in this moment, feeling your feet on the floor, if you're at a place that you can do that. Eyes open if you're driving. And just notice your breath. And let's give gratitude, or I'm going to add in here, give gratitude for breath and the fact that I get to breathe clean air this morning. Not everybody does in our country and our planet. In through the nose and out through the mouth. And if you would allow me to, as I feel my feet on the earth, uh, perhaps give gratitude I know I would like to give gratitude for the earth that I sit on and for those peoples that owned it many, many years ago, indigenous people. Back to your breath. Letting your breath sink in the belly. And another breath in and out. And you can open your eyes. Just a little brief meditation. And I apologize if that's my computer making noises. I thought I had. At any rate, here we are. 
Ah, beautiful. Thank you. I needed that. I needed that for sure. So thank you very much, Kathy, for, for doing that. And Kathy, talk a little bit, if you will, about why that's important, why that is important. It's important to really focus on the breath, bring the breath into your belly because it activates that part of the nervous system, the parasympathetic, para means helper, like a paramedic, uh, the helper part of the nervous system to calm down the sympathetic stress response. When we're in the stress response, perhaps being in the emergency room, seeing Dr. Kadisha, um, we actually don't think clearly because the blood goes away from our thinking brain uh, and we end up reacting rather than responding. And, uh, you know, it happens to me, you know, when I'm, it, it, I always say, when I put on a gown, the few times I go to the doctor, I feel like my brain shrinks. Um, <laughs> and so just remembering to breathe literally activates that part, the thinking part of our brain. So that's kind of it in a little nutshell. Unmute, Carol. Thank you for the reminder. So this morning, we have a little bit of a technical challenge. Usually, I get to see all of the, the comments right here through the magic. However, this morning, I'm going to have to be glancing at another screen. So if you see me looking down, that's what I'm doing. So I want to welcome Denise, uh, DM, Victoria, Dr. Dietrich, Dr. Josh Corin. Um, my goodness, they've all joined on. And as always, we have an engaged audience. Please let me know your questions. All right. So I will be catching the questions. And as the questions come up, ladies, I will share them with you if questions or comments come up. So anyway, technology, right? We love it. We love it. We love it. All right. So, um, I would like to invite Dr. Khadija to talk to us a little bit this morning. I know her as my business bestie, friend, and colleague from a fabulous business program that we're in for medical professionals, for doctors. And I know her as this fabulous, competent, best-selling author and emergency room Precision. My goodness, this woman saves lives. And I also know her personally, and I know that she has a personal story and that she has something that she's going to share with us in terms of the impact of intergenerational trauma. And what I mean by intergenerational trauma is things that happened, maybe they happened to your mom, your grandmom, your great-great-grandmom, or your dad, or your grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, you know, you, when you, can, you can look back, look back, as they say in the Native American cultures, look back and impact seven generations behind you, look forward and impact seven generations in front of you. And we do know that our very genetic material encodes many of these events. And then it gets passed down from generation to generation to generation, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. And um, after um, Dr. Khadija shares, then Dr. Kathy's gonna come back on and talk about some of the research and science about that. And Sheila is also um, going to share her story and her information as well. And that might get later and even before Dr. Kathy comes back on. But at any rate, I'd like to welcome Dr. Khadija to the mic and uh, welcome and make space, make space for what she is going to share with us. Um, hi there, good, good morning. Um, I came today to share uh, a story of um, that begins um, before I was even born. Uh, my mother and my father had met in college. And uh, when she was two months pregnant with me, um, my father had 
uh, gone back towards his uh, neck of the woods for for the weekend. He was from Mount Vernon, New York, and was with friends in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And um, he, as my mom said, got mixed up in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. And um, yet to this day, the, the story is a bit shrouded in, you know, the multiple sides and perspectives. And then um, even the newspaper article um, covering it seemed somewhat biased, but um, he and his friends uh, had um, an interaction with the police uh, that ended up in my uh, father's killing by one of the officers. And I didn't know this until I was about 23. I grew up being told that my father um, died in a car accident. And um, I never knew his side of the family. Um, my mother said at the funeral, his mother said something to her that, um, you know, let her know that she wasn't interested in uh, knowing the child with whom she was uh, pregnant. And yet yeah, to this day, you know, 40 plus years later, I've not seen or heard from any of them. And my, um, but my mother says to me at this time, she says, you know, I, um, I know I owe it to you to connect you with them uh, before my time on this earth is up. But it seems like it's a very tense situation. So that's one layer, you know, that's one layer of it. But um, when, um, when I was born, my grandmother who had had um, you know, high hopes for my mom as far as education, everything. I come from a, uh, a family of two, my grandmother, grandfather, two um, uncles, and my mom, all very much into education. One uncle went to Harvard, one went to University of Chicago. And then here's, you know, they're all in college around the same time. And here my mother gets pregnant and the father is killed. My grandmother told her, you know, you're gonna have to put this child up for adoption. Uh, but when I was born, she, my grandmother changed her mind um, on holding me for the first time and said, okay, uh, we'll help you raise her, but you're gonna have to leave school to go to work. And it's just like, there's just like a domino effect. And, um, you know, I was told from my earliest days that things were gonna be harder for me because I didn't have a father. My, my grandmother told me that, you know, my uh, one of my biggest cheerleaders and um, one of my primary sources of stability and love kept telling me repeatedly, it's gonna be harder for you. So, um, so Dr. Carroll, when you um, advised that I take a look at that book on the other side of freedom, The Case for Hope, I was really touched by um, one of the um, statements that the author made when he talked about how a dream can be the fanciful whimsy of a child free to explore any one of countless possibilities completely unmoored from present day circumstance. I was not, <laughs> my, my hopes and possibilities were greatly moored in my present day circumstance. And my family didn't know what to expect of me coming from those kinds of circumstances. Um, I had overheard an uncle saying, you know, well, if she, what if she gets pregnant at a young age and things like that. And um, I wasn't even at the age where I could become pregnant, but I had, you know, I'd overheard this conversation, but um so while it was hurtful, it was motivating. And my mother had told me that my father was studying zoology. He was interested in being a physician, things like that. And so it made me determined not to, um, you know, to take a different path and to go as far as I could in that path so that, you know, my father's life wasn't, um, you know, that uh, his his part in my existence 
wasn't in vain. But and then I didn't, um, you know, re, uh, disappoint my family, and um, you know, and and they gave my mother, of course, some grief. They gave my mother a lot of grief for that, and I wanted to show them that she and that the family didn't make a mistake by keeping me, you know, by not um, putting me up for adoption. So um, it just seems like my father's um, meeting my mom and his death even before I was born has influenced my life, you know, uh, to this day, as far as decisions that I make, um, maybe even in relationships, you know, the worry, the fear of losing, you know, that um, intimate partner as well. And, you know, people will always show pity when, you know, at the um, events during school where I'm reminded I have no father. And I would just say, oh, you can't miss what you never had. And so, um, you know, I'll just end by saying, you know, the, the effects of, you know, what happened in his absence, are, I know they're far reaching, you know, they're effects that I'm not even aware of. Thank you, Dr. Kadisha. That was so beautifully said and shared and uh, takes great courage to to speak and to share. And so often what I, I like to tell people, what we don't reveal can't be healed. So may your healing continue to unfold like the blossoming of the most beautiful lotus blossom and flower. Thank you. And we have um, from Patricia, I see you and hear you. You seem like a beautiful person. I have my FOC, which is my family of choice. They're truly my family and ride to die peeps, sending you love. And Patricia is actually watching from her hospital bed this morning. So welcome, Patricia. And we're glad that you are feeling well enough to join us. Um, Denise, so sad, constantly having to prove self-worth. And I think that's a lot about what we're going to talk about when we talk about the what we're what we're going to soon learn as the ACEs study or adverse childhood events. Victoria, Dr. Khadija, you have defied all odds, regardless of how it all began. You are a survivor. Wear that badge proudly. Yes, and then we have Dr. Dietrich. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing, and. Um, Again, you know, I'm, I'm just really touched because someone, one of my friends and mentors and um, now one of the uh, deans of Rowan University School of Osteopathic Medicine, um, and Dr. Dietrich knows who I'm talking about, Dr. Josh Corrin. He was chief resident when we were in medical school back in 2002. Um, Dr. Corrin, thank you. And uh, I welcome him to this morning's broadcast as well. So that, that was beautiful. So Kathy, could you talk to us a little bit about and connect the dots here? So when an event like this happens, and then yet here's this woman, what, four decades later, still talking about the downstream impacts. And she highlighted the impact on her life growing up. What does all this mean? Yes, and thank you, Dr. Kadisha, for your for your great courage. I know it, it took a lot, and I'm really honored that you shared it with us, and of course, the greater audience, and people's lives will be touched by it. And I feel like that's the power well, of think, your can, words. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you just and, one moment because there's a question from an audience member that I think is 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 pertinent for a Dr. Kadisha to answer right now. So. Um, this is from Denise. Did you go into ER work as a response to saving your dad, even though you didn't know he was killed? And because I see how that's going to tie into what Kathy's going to talk about. Great question. Thank you, Denise. Yeah, thank you. Um, that, you know, that, um, that decision could have, um, that could be another effect, you know, um, that I'm not even, aware of, but, um, 
you know, as far you know, I chose to, to go into it because I'm most touched by people who are um, acutely ill and who are like almost literally reaching out for help, um, you know, so that, um, you know, for comfort from pain or just out of fear of what's happening to them like that um, was why this specialty moved me uh, the most. But um, I know that uh, during my um, years of uh, residency at Howard, uh, and when I went into residency, um, DC General, the city hospital closed, and DC General is in a very was um, is in a rougher part of DC, and so we would get those young black men who had been shot from that area. They would have to travel, be brought by ambulance across DC to Howard. And that would be like an extra 20 minutes. So you know that um, after you've been shot multiple times, 20 minutes is definitely the difference between life and death. And believe me, I was brought back repeatedly to um, thoughts of my father um, when that would happen. All those men that were brought in um, that we, um, you know, that either we could um, help resuscitate or often not because it had been so long that they had gone, you know, that they were in transport. I definitely um, was uh, um, touched by that. And it did make me think, you know, especially, you know, the younger they were, my father was 19. So um, not sure if, if he um, consciously, I'm not sure if that caused my decision, but I was definitely touched by it, um, having to help treat those young men. Thank you, Dr. Kathy. Thank you, Dr. Kadisha. I am finding myself breathing as you speak, Dr. Kadisha. Just like we talked about earlier, it's literally feeling my feet on the floor and because it's so impactful. And there's this other part of my brain that knows you've already got your scrubs on. You're going to be walking into, um, into work or you're in at work, basically. And so that part of me that covered ER for many years is also going, whoa. You know, just thinking of you, uh, I just wanted to say that. Um, this story obviously talks about the huge impact, known and unknown, you know, unconsciously, you know, what impacts us in our everyday world. And, you know, things like, you know, um, like epigenetics. So I think epigenetics is the study of, not I think, I know epigenetics is the study of what I say is, this is sort of my little rudimentary when I'm teaching children. Um, you know, I think of the, this is the genes. These are all the genes. And this is, I've got curly hair and this is I'm tall and this is the color of my skin. And these are all our genes. And above it lies the epigenome. So it's not just about the genes. It's about what happens above it. Uh, the epigenome, the protein that actually turns on those genes. The epigenome is, is determined by things not only like what we choose to eat and do we manage our stress, but the epigenome is also is what has happened to us and what has happened to those generations before us. There's lots of studies like the Dutch famine studies and all of those that tell us about that. And I believe that that's part of how unconsciously um, perhaps we may carry forward, forward behaviors or things may help to us health wise that we don't have a conscious um, awareness of. And Carol had asked me specifically, actually shifting gears now, I just wanted to make that point, and shifting gears to the ACEs studies, which are quite old now. I mean, they're like 1998, the adverse child experience studies, um, in which uh, Folletti looked at, in San Diego, you know, really, you know, primarily white middle-class folks, what are the effects of trauma early in life? And that's not even historical as much as early in life. So, you know, were you in a home where you were abused? Did you see your mother get hit or a parent get hit? Were your parents in jail? And there's many different parameters that I won't go all into because they're very easily looked up on the ACEs, um, under ACEs. And the impact of those traumatic events in childhood on adult illnesses. So folks that have more ACEs, have more heart disease, more cancer, more depression, more anxiety. And for me, it connects the dots between well, who is this person in front of me and why are they having a heart attack when they have a super good cholesterol and their blood pressure is good? You know, once they learned about the ACEs studies, like, okay, 
you know, and it's the invitation is to look at some of those traumas, like Carol and many others say is, you know, what's not revealed can't be healed. And how can we unpack some of that, unpeel some of that, those layers of the onion? Um, I think that's all I'll say about that now, Carol, unless you um, want me to say more or, or unless there's questions. Well, we'll see. Let me see if there's any questions. Good morning and welcome, welcome, Aubrey, to the show. So again, who are these early birds? People, my guests ask me, who gets up this early? Well, you know, there there are many, there are many, yes. Um, so I'd like to bring on my dear colleague and friend, Sheila, to, to shed some light on that, because this is certainly something that uh, Sheila sees as an educator as a people who, you know, person who teaches parents and is working with children. And she also has her own story of intergenerational trauma in the impact. So Sheila, welcome. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, my, my interest in the ACE. Oh, yes. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, good. Um, my interest in the ACE studies started many, many years ago. I've always been interested in how to prevent child abuse. And of course, that stems from my own experience. So as a child, um, you know, coming from um, living in a family that lived in poverty, um, experiencing physical and sexual abuse, emotional abuse myself, I was on a quest you know, to try to determine and, and learn and understand more about why am I the way I am? Why do I have, um, why do I have piercing and debilitating anxiety? Um, why is it that I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder? Those kinds of things. And so I just started reading and I was a, a member of an organization called Prevent Child Abuse Minnesota. And when these studies first came out 20 years ago, I actually had the privilege of attending a conference and hearing Dr. Robert Onda speak about, about these studies. And of course, as he spoke, I saw myself in them. And I went, oh, so what, you know, what I came to learn, of course, is that you know, the original studies, there are about 10 items. There was a 10-point questionnaire um, that asked, you know, as a child, were you physically abused, sexually abused? You know, are your parents divorced? Do you have a parent who's incarcerated? And again, you can look these up on the internet. They're very easy to find. Um, you know, what I learned is I had nine out of 10 ACEs. And what I, what I also learned, and, you know, I attribute ACEs to the reason that I may have asthma. Um, you know, I learned early on that children who are abused are more likely to have asthma. Um, so this fascinated me endlessly um, and taught me a lot about myself. And then, of course, I'm so passionate about working with families and children that I began to bring this work in to the classroom. Um, you know, ACEs won't, you know, aren't a definite determinant of outcomes, <laughs> but there's a really strong correlation. And as an educator, one of the things that really stands out and is, is profoundly important to me is that on that 10 point scale, if a child has four or more ACEs, they're, they're almost 50% more likely to have a developmental delay. And as an educator, that's critically important to the work that we're doing in the educational system. And so I'm also on a mission to teach educators about adverse childhood experiences and what it means to have a trauma-informed classroom and what it means to, um, what it means to practice self-care ourselves as educators so we can learn to manage our own stress or how we might look at our own traumas. Because as educators, we are co-emotion regulators in the classroom with the children that we're working with. Um, and all of this, all of this is profoundly important. I think, you know, many people may not understand that a trauma at an early age is extremely different than a trauma that may happen at a later age. And of course, we know that that might be the case because the brain is developing and growing so rapidly between the ages of birth and even in utero, frankly, um, but birth to five, especially. And so it's so important that we learn how we can minimize those stressors um, and, and those traumas. Um, again, the original studies were looking at family systems, you know, what happens in the household. And we also know what the ACE studies did not include are factors 
that happen outside of a family system and perhaps within a community. So it did not include things like community violence, racism, those kinds of issues, but many experts today also frame those issues as adverse childhood experiences. So, um, you know, I want every child, regardless of, um, you know, their economic socio status, regardless of the color of their skin, I want all children to grow up to be healthy and happy individuals. That's how we build um, strong families, strong communities. So that's where my passion lies. And of course, I think about intergenerational trauma. And, I, you know, I have an example of it in my own family. I have Native American heritage, Chippewa, Pembina Band, White Earth Nation, shout out <laughs> to those folks. And of course, Norwegian heritage, if you might not be able to tell <laughs> from this very white skin that I have. Um, you know, but my great grandfather was taken away from his family, of course, by the local sheriffs, because um Children from the White Earth Reservation were sent off to Native um, boarding schools, and he went to a Native American boarding school, or was taken uh, to a Native American boarding school in Nebraska. And, you know, I think back and think about how traumatic that would have been for him. He was probably about five years old, stripped of his culture, stripped of his language, um, you know, I, I have some shame about the fact that I don't know a lot about my ancestry and about my cultural heritage because it was taken away. And as an adult now, as a you know, 53-year-old woman, I'm just starting to learn more about it. But I think about the anxiety, uh, the substance abuse disorders that run in my family, the depression, and how it's been passed on from generation to generation. My own child, who has grew up in a loving family um, with really engaged parents and who did not experience sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. My own child has suffered significantly from anxiety and depression. And, you know, I believe that those genetic markers and those, you know, epigenetics has a factor in that. Now, the good news, um, also when we're talking about adverse childhood experiences that we all need to remember is that ACEs are beatable and treatable. So there's a lot of good news. So the experts that are sitting here, you know, on this panel know a lot about what we can do um, to one, you know, alleviate symptoms and to become much more healthy individuals and to create more healthy communities and a healthier world. So, um, you know, I have to give a shout out. Uh, I fangirl a little over Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. She has no idea who I am, um, but she's done an amazing TED talk on adverse childhood experiences. I believe she's the Surgeon General for the state of California right now. Um, and then she's also written a book called The Deepest Well. And I believe she is primarily um, responsible for bringing these ACE studies to the public forefront today. The studies are old now, they've been around for quite a while, um, but she's really gotten out and, and gotten the word out. So um, it's a beautiful opportunity for us to learn more about ourselves and about our ancestors and to learn more about what we can do for ourselves and each other to create stronger communities. So check, check her out. She's amazing. So that's great. So I'll, I'll put the uh, title of the book up at some point, but the title for those who are interested is the deepest well, and also spell her last name. Cause I know there are people now that are Googling and looking it up and I've, I've got in the meantime, also have some yes, comments Burke to is, share. I believe it's B U R K E and then Harris H A R R I S Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. She's a pediatrician. Yes. So, from Patricia, I'm so grateful to Carol to teach for teaching me about the ACE study. Identified with so many of the traits and taught me a lot about myself. Thank you, ladies, for sharing your knowledge on this topic. From Denise in Puerto Rico, my foster father used to be tied to a tree and beaten. He grew up to be abusive, which is we often see that. I often wonder if those that beat him or their parents had learned from the slave owners who disciplined in that violent manner. There, yes, very important reflection. And again, this is a lot of what we unpack in the course, Unpacking Racism. From Dr. Sunul Coriolis. Thank you, Dr. Sunul. Good morning, Carol Penn and esteemed panelists. Keep getting to the root causes. So critical 
to understanding current health outcome trends. Dr. Uh, Sunul is a cardiologist in Philadelphia and doing amazing things in the Philadelphia communities. And one of the things that I like to talk about and teach about with my colleagues is the trauma-informed exam room and not just in the ER, but all of our exam rooms need to be sensitized to you know, what's behind, what's behind the, the difficult to treat or, you know, and I hate this term when we say the non-compliant patient. Oftentimes, you know, if you, if you go a little bit deeper, you'll find things that would qualify this person as a person who is dealing with issues downstream from ACE. All right. So, and welcome, 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 Marlene and Dr. Erica. Marlene is Dr. Kadisha's mom. So we are so excited that she has joined us. And as you can see, you know, large engaged audience this morning. And we hope that you will share this information because there are people in all of our worlds that don't know about this as yet and, and that they can begin to put together the breadcrumbs to their own soul as far as some of the things that might you see generation after generation after generation, you know, failed relationships, difficulties with money, difficulties in their career, holding a job, difficulties even in focus and mental clarity, let alone going even downstream further into the disease well, where inflammation starts to build up in different areas of the body. And then it manifests as heart disease, as diabetes, as cancer, and all of this ties into the information that we're still peeling back because it was one thing to do the study, another thing to apply it, and yet still another thing to implement and to continue to learn as it evolves. So I'm going to just suggest that we all do a little bit of movement right now because you, I know, I noticed that as we were talking again, this is Ooh, you know, this is tender. This is difficult. You know, my shoulders creeping up a little bit. So those of you that are watching, that's the other thing. Emotions lodge in the body. Emotions, they, they don't just dissipate and, and go someplace like, you know, out in the ethers, but you know, the good, again, the good, the bad and, and the ugly. And what we want to do is we want to, you know, stay in flow stay in flow. So just take a moment, interlace your fingers like so, and let's just a little stretch. And if you notice any tightness in the back of the arms or the shoulders, and you can just kind of almost like you're steering a, a, a car wheel, right? Just shift side to side with the fingers locked in, or you want to weave a little bit because a tight spot for me is right back here between the shoulder blades. And so we interweave a little bit of movement into our course, unpacking racism. You can unlock and bring one arm across. Let's do a nice little shoulder stretch here. Beautiful. Important that we don't let these tensions build up to the place where enough inflammation well, you end up with arthritis in a joint, right? Joint pain, constant joint pain. And give that a little shake. Roll the shoulders around. Roll the shoulders around. Let's roll the shoulders around the other way. Beautiful. All right. Panelists, do you feel a little bit better? Did that like, you know, break some of the tension? Okay. So important to remember to do that for yourselves, right? To like, ah. Maybe that's the osteopath in me, you know, the, clearly the osteopath and the dancer. So, you know, that's a positive childhood event. I started dancing when I was three and it is clearly interwoven in my life and it's all part of everything that I do. So that's also, that's just the opposite of what we're talking about. There are those things that were so joyful and so wonderful, that gets passed on in the epigenome as well. And you saw Dr. Khadija get up, just a reminder to our audience, she is at work. <laughs> 
So, and I'm just, if you want to be in touch with Dr. Khadija, there is her website. And um, again, so grateful you all are seeing this in, in real time. So she is actually going to have to, I think she's got a patient she has to admit, but you know, this is the life of a doctor who is on duty. She's working a 12-hour shift today, 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. She might not be able to uh, join us back on. Yes, she's got a patient. So we wish her well. We know that, you know, I have to say, you know, she's doing God's work, right? We have no, she has no idea of, of what's worked on the what what has come in the door and what's going to be in the uh, emergency room bay when she gets there. But we do know that she is going there with her heart. You heard the reasons why she was drawn to emergency room medicine. And she's not even sure if her own experience from from you know growing up being that little baby in the womb has not had a direct impact as to why she chose emergency room medicine she could have been any kind of doctor she wanted yet she is drawn to that situation again and again and again and she you heard the heart to heart connection that she just felt if she could just help people in their state of anxiety in their state of vulnerability so we thank Dr. Khadija. So what I want to do is just take um, a moment and talk about uh, a while ago, we, I, I put across the bottom that racism is an adverse childhood event. And I'll talk about, share a little story about an adverse childhood event that I had. So I'm old enough to have been alive during the civil rights movement. That's when I was a little girl during the, you know, the height of the civil rights movement. And there was a bombing at a church in Alabama. Four little girls were, were murdered by that bombing. And one of the little girls name was Carol. And of course my name is Carol. And we were both eight years old. And I, too, went to Sunday school in a church basement. And I can literally trace to that moment, to learning about that, because from that point, I started being a little nervous about going to Sunday school. I would, and, and where my Sunday school classroom was under a window and I would sit and I would, I would look up at that window and I kept wondering if a bomb was going to come through that window and kill me. I didn't, I wasn't so worried that it was going to kill the other kids because, you know, the bomb, of course, would know my name was Carol and I was brown like the other Carol and it, you know how children will kind of collapse their world to themselves. And I remember asking my friend Shirley Ray to trade seats with me because the bomb wouldn't hurt her if she sat under the window, but it would hurt me if I sat under the window. And then I, I would wonder about why don't people like little girls named Carol? Why don't people like little girls named Carol if they have a brown skin. So, you know, I was hearing the, the news and my, my parents were trying to explain it to me, but I was trying to have it make sense in my mind. So from the time of eight all the way till now, that, you know, that story comes to me, that story. And, and that is, that's scary. That's traumatic. I was focused on that from that point on. And to this day, when I drive past that church and I look at that window, I, I feel that, ooh, you know, that little flash of, of tension that, that rises up because that was, that was pretty scary. I was terrified. I thought I was going to die and that somebody was going to kill me because my name was Carol and because I was brown. And so, you know, what happens when those thoughts and all thoughts manifest, they become things, what, what has that done overall to my, to my psyche? 
And I, I know that the, the answer is, you know, comes out in my own activism. Fortunately, I grew up in a, a household with a lot of awareness. It comes out in my own compassion. Perhaps it's coming out in this, you know, just what I feel right now is a personal responsibility to end racism. So there doesn't have to be more little children that grow up afraid because they're brown. And just because they're brown, something awful is going to happen to them. Or just because their first name is, you know, Kathy or Sheila or, or Bobby or Kenny or Keith. But that's what these adverse childhood events do. And so, yes, racism is an adverse childhood event and it impacts everything that you do everything that you do and it and impacts the way the discussions that I've had with with my children you know teaching my children for instance that 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 discussion about how to interact with the police the police are not necessarily here to protect you i grew up watching my father pulled over time and a time and again on our own street by people after they would pull him over would recognize him and be kind of embarrassed but it was like they couldn't see him as an individual. It was just you know, driving while black and driving a nice car in a middle-class neighborhood. What are you doing here? And some of these police officers were our neighbors. <laughs> it's like, you see that car every day, you know, you know, what's up with that? You know, so just seeing the color of my father's skin made him a risk, made it a, a, li a liability. So um, Kathy and Sheila, I what what is coming up for you? Good morning, my dear friend and neighbor Kathy has joined us. Good morning, Kathy, and welcome. You know something that's coming up for me, Carol, is um, in my work as an educator and the work that we, the three of us, do together at the Center for Mind Body Medicine. There's this connection between um, social emotional learning, understanding one's feelings and emotions. Um, learning how to manage our, our feelings and emotions and how that's connected to how we interact um, with ourselves and the people around us. And one of the things that I really want to point out, um, it, it, it's really important to me um, when I'm thinking about, again, the educational system is this, um, that educators and very specifically white educators need to understand the impact of adverse childhood experiences and of racism on children. And for white educators who have the privilege of not ever having to deal with racial stress, those conversations and even just thinking about it can feel extraordinarily uncomfortable or shameful or you know, lots of big feelings can come up around it, mm -hmm. which is why um, educators, very specifically, we need to learn about our own social, we need to practice social emotional learning ourselves. It's something that we're taught to do in the school system for children, but we really need to wrap our arms around it and begin to practice it ourselves. Because once we're able to do that, um, we'll be able to better enter into these conversations about these challenging conversations about racism or about trauma very specifically. So I feel so passionate about that, you know, and some of the ways that we do that, of course, we do that a little bit at the center for mind body medicine. Thank you, Jim Gordon, learning how to process how we feel, learning how to move through how we feel um, as we, the two of you have demonstrated and shared with us so beautifully today through meditation and through movement. Um, but I just really want to make that point. White educators very specifically have an opportunity. You know, having an equity and inclusion director in a school district isn't quite enough. We need to take additional steps. As I always say, it's a moral imperative that we do this work. Um, that's what's coming up. So it felt important to share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you. That, you know, touches my heart and your words are powerful. Um, so, yeah. Oh, so my beloved has dropped in the chat. If people are curious, if you want to jump in the course, Unpacking Racism, it starts on Wednesday evenings from seven to nine. We have an orientation on um, tomorrow night. You'll get an invitation. Kathy, could you talk a little bit about the course? Yeah, the course actually um, is like what we just did. 
it's really uh, having conversations. Um, we review some history, oftentimes historical features in the history that has not been told of our country in particular. Um, it, this course was born out of conversations that Carol and I have had over the years as we've been, uh, been friends, become friends, and been able to say, oh, we can, um, I can be called out on something and, you know, we can still be friends. And I think um, certainly a lot of the people that I communicate with, uh, my friends, et cetera, or colleagues or people on Facebook, it's, um, I hear people say, I don't know what to say. You know, I, I want to help, but I don't know what to do. And I feel, as Sheila has said, that part of it is what's, what is our background? You know, so we really look at things. We look at historical trauma by looking at, for example, one of the exercises we do is what's called a genogram, where we look at what's come, what mm-hmm. messages have we taken on? And um, so it's I'm learning all the time. And I really am looking forward to um, version 2.0 to learn more um, so people can repeat it because we're going to continue to evolve and continue to learn. And as you know, there's multiple resources and it's been, you know, really interesting. And it's been a place what we hear from participants is, you know, this I was really glad for um, we heard one participant say I was really glad that I had this course. So when. Um, so when there was a shooting that happened in our town that I could, I could be aware and I could feel like I was more prepared. Um, so that's what I'd like to say. Uh, thank you so much. And we've got so many comments here. I hope to get to all of them. So, you know, welcome, um, to, to Mel who also joined us. Um, I invite people, if you need to reach out to me, you can find, and I'm happy if you're interested in being in the course, you'd like to know more. Let me just give up here. Okay. You can certainly set up a discovery call with me, calendy.com forward slash Dr. Carol Penn. That's going across the, the bottom right there. So that's one way to talk to me. Another way is you can simply email me. A lot of people like the email and this, I will share this also with Kathy. You saw Kath, and I also sh- uh, share it with Sheila. So, you know, I'm in touch with these ladies. Well, you know, it's funny. It's getting more and more and more almost on a daily basis. So many things happening in our extraordinary work that we do together through the Center for Mind Body Medicine. And shout out to all of our colleagues there as well. And you can certainly be in touch directly with uh, Dr. Kathy. And this is. Uh, all across all of her social media, her social media handles. So, and then like I say, anytime you want to be in touch with all three of us, just shoot me an email. I will and do share with them. And ladies, I'm going to have to have you back on. Will you come back on? And in the comments, we also, there's the registration link has been put in the Facebook comments. So if you're curious and you just want to be in the course, it's eight weeks, 147 for the eight weeks. So we really were, you know, being sensitive to affordability and what it is, it's about the community and it's about the information. It's about being in a safe place. And so, um, Denise was saying that she feels like the police officers may have known subconsciously who my dad was and punishing him for success, which touches upon their fears um, and that this is absolutely a moral imperative. Kathy is saying there are important lessons here in looking at intergenerational impact of um, outplacement um, and child removal is revisited as childhood trauma um, not a child welfare too. Um, Sheila is proof that one can heal and move the world into a healthy path. My goodness, my goodness. Um, and uh, Denise is saying she's going to be in touch with Sheila. So yes, yeah, so we welcome this. We look forward to this. We are going to uh, go ahead and uh, get out of here. That's for sure today. And again, thank you so much for 
watching. Tune back in next Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be the Back to School show. Who knows, Shelly, you might be back on that show as well. Going to be the Back to School show because now uh, people have been back to school in all the different forms that that is taking across the the. Uh, country. So we want to hear from people. We want to know what's going on. And we want to know also parents want to know how to keep their children safe in this environment. So I thank you all so much. And you have been watching Weightless in Mind, Body and Spirit with Dr. Carol Penn. There's my website, www.drcarolpenn.com. Thank you so much to Dr. Kadisha Rapp and God bless her in the work that she is doing. Thank you, Dr. Kathy Farah and God blessings upon you, my sister, and the work that you're doing. So we have Texas. Wisconsin, and Miss Sheila Bauer in the great state of Minnesota, and yours truly here in New Jersey. And we also had Karen on from Pakistan. So we've truly been global this morning. Thank you all and see you next week.